know, I don't know what your highlights were of 2005. Well, yesterday, the Times published their review of 2005. And we were reminded of various major events that took place last year. So let me give you some of the highlights. 2005 was the year when Ellen MacArthur became the fastest round-the-world sailor. And Ellen is from Derbyshire, which is the furthest point in the UK from the sea. Makes perfect sense. 2005 was also the year when Prince Charles and Camilla Parker Bowles finally got married. And of course, 2005 was a year of continuing trouble in Iraq. But it was also the year when elections took place for a new Iraqi government. And finally, 2005 was the year when Carol Thatcher won I'm a celebrity, get me out of here. The profound, and the not so profound. And God willing, 2006 is going to be the same in many respects. It will be a year full of events that will demand our time, our resources, and our attention. In The Economists, the world in 2006, were given an insight it's what we can expect to encounter this year. Here's just a few of them. 2006 is the year of not one, but two World Cups, you have been warned. The Football World Cup in Germany, and the Baseball World Classic in America, Japan, and Puerto Rico. And in 2006, this year will bring hope to developing countries with the $100 laptop and the $20 mobile phone. And 2006 will also be a big year for travel. Singapore Airlines will fly the biggest ever passenger jet, and this year the world's highest railway opens, crossing the famous Tangula Pass in western China, where the average temperature is freezing. Daniel Franklin, the editor of World 2006, states... Be prepared. 2006 will be a year of living dangerously. Sounds ominous. And you will have your ambitions and plans for 2006. Maybe you have a goal to get further ahead in your career. Maybe your ambition is to travel the world. My ambition for this year is to learn to play golf. Finally. And no doubt, we will experience times of encouragement, in times of discouragement in 2006. There will be times when things seem to be going so well. And there will be other times when there are real challenges to face. And so the question I want you to think about as we start 2006, with all that can happen in just one year, is this. How do you embrace the future how do you embrace the future? Over 2,000 years ago, just 40 days after the very first Christmas, there was someone who could embrace the future. And what was his name? His name was Simeon. And here's what Simeon reminds us. He reminds us that the way you embrace the future is by looking at the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Robert Moyle McShane wrote the same thing in one of his letters. He said this, For every look at yourself, take ten looks at Christ. Then he adds, If we are to know, listen, the blessing of God in our lives and ministries, we must live in daily contemplation of the greatness and the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's the message we find in the story of Simeon. So let's turn again to Luke chapter 2, and it's page number 1028 to find out what happens. Luke chapter 2, and it's page number 1028. Now, if you cast your eye at verse 29, this is what Dr. Luke records. He says this. Simeon says, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servants in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation. And so I invite you to join me as we investigate together how you can embrace the future. And there are three words we're going to think about here. Three words. Ready, steady, and Go. Okay. And so firstly, embracing the future, it means being ready. And it begins by encountering a unique Christ. Now if you look at verse 25, notice what it says. There was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And so right at the start, what do we find? We find that Simeon was on a quest. And what was he looking for? Now watch this. He was looking for the hope of the nation of Israel. But also, so much more than that, the hope of the world, the Messiah, God's anointed one. And someone else who was on this quest was C.S. Lewis, the author of the Chronicles of Narnia. Now C.S. Lewis was once an atheist, but he came to believe in God, although crucially not yet in the uniqueness of the Lord Jesus Christ. However, at the age of 32, that all changed. Now here is what C.S. Lewis wrote to his friend J.R. Tolkien. He says this, I have passed on from believing in God to definitely believing in Christ. And why could C.S. Lewis say that? Well, he famously said this, A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said wouldn't be a great moral teacher. He'd either be a lunatic on the level with a man who says he's a post egg or else he'd be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the Son of God, or else a madman, or something worse. And he continues, But don't let us come up with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He hasn't left it open to us. He didn't intend to. And that is my challenge to you this morning, as we start 2006. Have you ever encountered Christ? Have you ever explored the evidence for Christianity? 
Now, if you look at verse 27, you'll notice that Simeon did. Now, picture this scene. Simeon is in a temple in Jerusalem, just, just five miles north of Bethlehem. And Joseph and Mary enter the temple on this particular day, along with the six-week-old baby Jesus. And their offerings were made for his redemption as a firstborn son, and by Mary for her purification. And what happens next? Well, if you look at verse 27, it says this. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servants in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation. So what did Simeon encounter that day? He encountered a person, the saviour of the world. In the words of Charles Wesley, veiled in flesh, the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity, pleased as man with man to dwell, Jesus, our Emmanuel. Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the new born king. And so being ready for 2006, it means encountering a unique Christ. But it also means receiving a universal offer. Now, here's a thought. If you were to look around here this morning at Charlotte Chapel, what would you see? People who didn't sleep much last night. But what else? You would find people from many different countries of the world. From China to Chile. And from Greece to Germany. And from South Africa to South Korea. And you would find people from all different walks of life. Maybe you're a school teacher or a nurse, or a doctor, or an accountant, or a lawyer, or you may look after the kids, or you may be retired. Now consider this. Can you think of any group so diverse meeting this morning? Any group as diverse as the church? Now, does that not say something very important about Jesus Christ? Why? Because God's offer of salvation is a universal offer. And if you look at verse 32, that's what Simeon tells us. Now this is careful what he says. He says, it is light for the Gentiles. Remember how Paul puts it in Romans chapter 1. I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. Light and life to all he brings, risen with healing in his wings. And secondly, it is glory for God's people, Israel. J.C. Well, in his commentary on Luke's Gospel, writes helpfully. Here's what he says Christ was indeed the glory of Israel. The descent from Abraham, the covenants, the promises, the law of Moses, the divinely ordered temple service. All these were mighty privileges. But all were as nothing, nothing, compared to the mighty fact that out of Israel was born the Saviour of the world. And that's what Simeon saw in the face of the baby Jesus. So here's the question for us as we go into a new year. Is Jesus just a baby in the manger to me? Or is he my salvation? Embracing the future, it means being ready. But secondly, it also means being steady. 
keeping focused. Now last week, Alison and I were over in Northern Ireland for Christmas. Now for the previous 51 weeks of 2005, I'd been at the gym every day, twice a day, for a swim. First thing in the morning and last thing at night. It's true. But here was my big challenge last week. And I had two options. Option number one. Would I keep focused and refuse all offers of second helpings of Christmas pudding and ice cream? Or, option number two. Would I just blow it? Because everyone eats too much at Christmas time anyway. And you guessed correctly. Now in 2006, there will be challenges that you are going to face. Maybe it's choices about work ethics. Or maybe it's pressure about your final exams. Or maybe it's uncertainty about your health. Or maybe it's difficulty in a particular relationship. So how do you keep focused in 2006? How do you keep steady? Answer? You marvel at Christ. Okay? You marvel at Christ. Now watch this. Simeon takes Jesus in his arms. And in remarkable words, he speaks of his future destiny. And in verse 33, what does it say? The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. I want us to notice three things to marvel here about Christ. Firstly, marvel at the salvation of Christ. Now let me read you an email I received at the end of last year, and I thought it was great. We had just finished the Christianity Explored course downstairs. This is what one of the guys, David, wrote to me after the course. And he said it was okay to share this with you this morning. And he said this, I would just like to take this opportunity to thank you for making the last ten weeks the most positive and amazing experience of my life. And he says this, My relationship with God through Jesus Christ is now at the centre of my life. Isn't that great? That's tremendous. Now let me ask you, maybe you've been a Christian for many years. Do you still marvel at the salvation of Christ? Do you still stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene? Listen to what Gregory of Nazarenes wrote in AD 381 about Jesus. He said this, He began his ministry by being hungry, yet he is the bread of life. Jesus ended his earthly ministry by being thirsty, Yet, he is the living water. Jesus was weary. Yet, he is our rest. Jesus paid tribute. Yet, he is the king. Jesus wept. Yet, he wipes away our tears. Jesus was sold for 30 pieces of silver. Yet, he redeemed the world. Jesus was brought as a lamb to the slaughter, yet he is the good shepherd. And Jesus died, yet by his death he destroyed the power of death. Jesus, our salvation. 
So as we start this new year, ask yourself this. Do I love Jesus the Saviour? Do I still thank him for dying for me? Listen, and rising again. Is my love for him greater now, today, than it was on the 1st of January 2005? Now secondly, marvel at the supremacy of Christ. C.H. Spurgeon was a famous preacher. Now he lived back in the 19th century. And he was someone who marveled, marveled at the supremacy of Christ. Now listen to this. Here are Spurgeon's first words in the pulpit of the Metropolitan Tabernacle in London. And it was very insightful. He said this. I would propose that the subject of the ministry of this house, as long as this platform shall stand, and as long as this house shall be frequented by worshippers, shall be the person of Jesus Christ. The legacy to which I would pin and bind myself forever, God helping me, is Jesus Christ, who is the arm and substance of the gospel, who is in himself all theology, the incarnation of every precious truth. Now, if you look at verse 34, that's what Simeon saw. What does it say? Simeon saw in Jesus a sign. A sign pointing where? To the Father who sent him. Remember those words that only Jesus could say. I and the Father are one. On the 1st of January, 2006, the Lord Jesus Christ stands utterly supreme. So here's a challenge for us as we embark in 2006. Not only do I love Jesus the Saviour, but do I trust Jesus the Lord. In the good times and in the hard times, will I choose to trust Jesus the Lord? Like what Coy Ten Boom once said, never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. So we keep steady. First, by marveling at the salvation of Christ. And second, by marveling at the supremacy of Christ. And now thirdly, by marveling at the servanthood of Christ. Now if you're a royalist, you know that Prince William finished university last year. And for the past few weeks, the future king of England has been serving, serving on an RAF mountain rescue team based in North Wales. And it was an act of servanthood. However, consider this. In a far, far greater way, Jesus Christ, God's Son, King of Kings, came to the earth to serve us and to rescue us. I love that song by Graham Kendrick. From heaven you came. Helpless babe, enter their world, your glory filled. Not to be served, but to serve. And give your life that we might live. This is our God. Amazing, the servant king. Now, if you look very carefully at verse 35, Simeon's final words to Mary are these And a sword will pierce your own soul too. Mary's involvement with her son, the Messiah, will bring suffering. But notice, 
The sword will not just hurt Mary, but someone else. And who? None other than Jesus, the suffering servant of the Lord. 700 years earlier, the prophet Isaiah wrote these words, that he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds we are healed. So here's the final question. Not only do I love Jesus, and do I trust Jesus, but in 2006, will I follow Jesus the servant? So based on the future, it means being ready, and it means being steady. And then finally, it means, yes, to go. That's right. We're getting there. Now last week, one of the forecasters gave, gave us the message that children everywhere love to hear. And what is that message? Snow is on its way. And in some parts of the UK, they got it right. Last week, temperatures hit minus 10 degrees centigrade. And the snow fell. And of course, what does that mean? Snowball fights. Yes, sledging down hills and more days off school. And we all wish we were children once again. But for the adults, what is the warning that we're given? What is the warning? Don't go out unless you really have to, yes? And why not? Because the roads might be icy, because the trains might be cancelled, and the bridges might be closed. Well, embracing the future is the complete opposite of that message. It means to go forward into 2006 with a rock-solid assurance. And so as we close, I want us to look at three practical ways we can go forward into this new year. And here's the first one. Go with the peace of Christ. Go with the peace of Christ. Look at verse 29. Simeon could speak these wonderful words. Look at what he says. Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servants in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation. Now catch this. In the Gospels, peace is primarily a gift of Christ, the bringer of shalom, the peace of God. It's about a relationship. And someone who knows that peace is Abigail Witchell. Now you may remember, you may remember last year a news report about Abigail, a 26-year-old from Surrey. As Abigail was pushing her son in his buggy, she was attacked. And she was stabbed in the neck, and she was left paralyzed. And it shocked the nation. However, Abigail is a Christian. And soon afterwards, a friend went to see Abigail in hospital. And amazingly, after the visit, this is what she said about Abigail. This is what she said. She radiated a peace and calm that were remarkable. And for many people, it made them think, how could Abigail, Abigail know such peace at a time like this? Well, you see, it's because she knew the truth of these words and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding. This will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Go into this new year with the peace of Christ. And now secondly, go with the presence 
of Christ. Now let me ask you, did anyone here make a New Year's, re- New Year's resolution last night? Anyone? Has anyone broken it yet? Not yet. Well, here's a New Year's resolution that everyone can make. And it's this. Spend time reading the Bible every single day. And let me explain why. 2,000 years ago, Simeon took the baby Jesus in his arms. And today, in 2006, we can meet that same Lord Jesus through the Bible. And it's central to knowing the presence of Christ in your life. Remember what Jesus said to his disciples in John chapter 16. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears. And he will tell you what is yet to come. I love this. He will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. Okay, so how do you apply this as you begin a new year? Well, here's what I would recommend. Buy a daily guide, either downstairs at the bookshop or on Wesley own, and go through the Bible or books of the Bible in 2006. And here's what will happen. The more you get to know Christ through his word, the more you know his presence in your life. That's not true, is it? It's true. Absolutely true. And so firstly, go with the peace of Christ. Secondly, go with the presence of Christ. And finally, go with a passion for Christ. Now, if you think back to 2005, you remember that people were passionate about many things. Passionate about sport. And we saw that when Wales somehow managed to win the Five Nations Rugby Championship. And we're not jealous in any way at all. And some people were passionate about music. Millions of fans formed in during the X Factor final. Anyone here? Not me, by the way, just in case you're wondering. Now, I wonder, if someone was to ask you and me that question, what is the greatest passion in your life? What are you passionate about as you go into 2006? Above everything else, what is the desire of your heart? How would we answer that as individuals and as a church? Well, in Simeon, we found someone whose greatest passion in life, catch this, was the Lord Jesus Christ. Now this year, as a church, we are launching a new series called 40 Days of Purpose. And over seven weekends, and in our fellowship groups, we will be looking at what it means in a practical way, to live with a passion for Christ. And next week, the books will be available, and there's still time to sign up if you haven't yet joined a fellowship group. And we pray that God will give us a fresh zeal for Christ as we do this. In the words of that song, Turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will go strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Now we started this morning by quoting from Robert Murray McShane. Well, last year I was given a book about Robert Murray McShane called Awakening. And it tells McShane's life story. He was born in Edinburgh in 1813. He attended the University of Edinburgh and in 1836 
Maury McShane became the minister of St. Peter's Church in Dundee. An evangelist who heard him preach once said about McShane, he preached with eternity, stamped upon his brow. And there was something obvious about McShane. And what was it? He could embrace the future. And in the year 1843, at the age of only 29, Robert Murray McShane developed a sudden illness and he went to be with Christ. Now let me close by reading some words of Robert Murray McShane and see if you can echo these words as you go into 2006. And the founder was him, I am a debtor. And he wrote this. When this passing world is done, when has sunk yon glaring sun, when we stand with Christ in glory, looking o'er life's finished story, then, Lord, shall I fully know, not till then, how much I owe. And that is how you embrace the future. Let us pray.